to the Jesuit Schools Network Ignatian Inquiry podcast and our fifth episode of the 2022-2023 school year. The JSN seeks to be a supportive resource to our member schools, and this podcast is designed to be just that, a carved out space to listen, learn, and engage with issues that matter to our collective work as Ignatian educators. We're eager to encourage a spirit of inquiry across the many layers of our work in Jesuit education. We envision our particular brand of Ignatian inquiry to be the art of inquiry as seen through our Ignatian lens, asking questions and exploring issues that matter in our schools through the frame of our shared Jesuit mission. On today's episode, we'll explore how educators utilize technology judiciously toward their learning goals and how teachers and leaders across the JSN can learn from the world of higher education as they seek to craft their teaching in the hybrid world in which we now live. As we emerge from the lessons learned over the past few years, educators across the network have transitioned from the habits of face-to-face learning to the world of online education, with most still living somewhere in between. This conversation will encourage school settings across the JSN to look closely at this learning around educational technology as they move forward to embrace the full potential of their future in seeking to meet the needs of the students in their care. We're joined by Professor Jay Razgani, who is the Associate Vice Provost for Pedagogical Innovation and Effectiveness and the Coordinating Director of the Center for Academic Excellence at Fairfield University, as well as a faculty member in the Educational Technology Program. He holds a Master of Library and Information Science degree from Southern Connecticut State University and a Master of Arts degree in History from Trinity College. Professor Razgani was named one of 2015's Top 30 Technologists, Transformers, and Trailblazers by the Center for Digital Education, was a finalist for Constellation Research's 2018 Supernova Award in the category of Future Work Employee Experience, and is the author of Preston Sturge's Vision of America. He currently serves as chair of the Northeast Regional Computing Program Board of Trustees, of which he has been a member since 2019. Dr. Kristen Ross Cully, JSN's Director of Inquiry and New Ventures, joins us for this conversation on such an important topic. Professor Brazgani and Dr. Cully, welcome to the podcast. How is everyone doing today? Great. Thank you so much, Kristen. I appreciate the kind words and the nice bio and uh, just the opportunity to be here and, and talk with you today. Hi, Kristen. And hi, Jay. Thank you, Jay, so much for being here. You know, it feels like not that long ago that uh, we met at the JSN with you and a few of your colleagues at Fairfield. I think it was back before Christmas, which is crazy that it's, you know, here we are (laughs) almost to Easter. Um, But we found that conversation that we had on the state of of online learning and hybrid learning and everything that's going on at Fairfield um, to be so interesting. We thought it would be a, a great conversation that that would just fit this podcast perfectly. So thank you for saying yes to this. Oh, absolutely. Happy to do it. Um, I recall that conversation as well. It was exactly the kind of thing I love, which is, is sharing big ideas and, and thinking and picking people's brains and where are things going and where have they been? Because if I'm not doing that, um, I'm also doing things like allocating academic space on campus and <laughs> adjudicating fights between faculty members <laughs> over who gets which office. So yeah, room, room is everything, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> So how is everything? Where are you in your semester now at Fairfield? 
So we're literally on spring break. So the halls are empty um, of among our provost team, the, the provost and the three of us who are vice provosts. I am literally the only one of us here today. And um, I, I walked out at one point to the office staff this earlier today and said, oh, my God, I just realized if there's an academic crisis, I'm the person you're going to ask what to do. Uh, and then I said, I'm going home right now. Bye. That's right. That's right. Too smart for that. <laughs> Um, you know, Jake, just listening to Kristen give your introduction here, I I love your title, Pedagogical Innovation and Effectiveness, and then Coordinating Director of Center for Academic Excellence. I mean, that is a, just a wonderful mouthful, but Pedagogical Innovation and Effectiveness. So wh what do you enjoy most about your role? So first of all, it is a great title, but I do have to say, I think I was given that title so that they didn't have to give me a raise or a, a, a much money. We won't give money, but we're given this great title that everyone will comment. Uh, now, uh, in all seriousness, what I love about my job, and and this comes from the provost who who hired me and, and gave me that title. This was not a job that existed before me. And she basically said to me, we had worked together when she was a, a vice provost and when she was an associate dean. Uh, and I was elsewhere in the university. And she said to me, I want you to come into this office and I want you to always do for us what you do yourself, which is to ask, why do we do things that way? Is there a better way we can do it? And to challenge everyone to think differently. And she said, you do that amazingly well yourself. You need to make us do it. You need to prompt us to do it. And never once has she gone back on that request. Never once has she said, oh, no, 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 we're just going to do it the way we've always done it or the way everybody else does it. Um, she always listens and she always encourages me to push further in what we can do to make teaching and learning better and to really genuinely reimagine it. Isn't that exactly what you'd love to hear as a as a leader, you know, as from someone that's the kind of the if that's your charge to stay fresh, to stay innovative, to, to question what's around you. I mean, that's terrific. It's terrific yeah. to hear. So, you know, I think situating ourselves now in the timing of our listeners who are educators and leaders from around Jesuit secondary and pre-secondary education, like where they are right now. So spring, you know, around Easter of 2023, having emerged from the pandemic and all the craziness that went with it and, and all the adjustment and learning that went with it, you know, thinking about them, I think it's interesting to hear like what is going on as a broad question, but what's going on in higher ed? Like what are what are you seeing? What is the state of of teaching and learning at in your setting at Fairfield? So, you know, I, I answer that in a couple of ways. And I, I think there's sort of a, a bigger, longer view answer to that and a, and a shorter view answer that I think is indicative, not just of the immediate issue. So the bigger view is I think we are all still trying to really get our feet under us after COVID. You know, it, it affected everybody, obviously, in, in the most, you know, in the most obvious ways. But and it affected many of us in really uh, very difficult ways in terms of losing family members or, or um, you know, one's life being changed in, in just such fundamental ways. I'm very lucky that that was not the case, that a few cases of COVID in the family that people recovered from. Um, nobody was lost a job, but but I'm well aware that a lot of people went through that. 
But as we come out of this, I think there's just such a different sense of the world, of time, of expectations, and of what could happen to us again that we kind of never thought about before. And I think people are still trying to figure it out. We haven't figured it out. Um, we haven't figured it out individually. And I think in education, we're still kind of testing and, and you know putting our toe in various waters and trying to see what that is kind of hoping we can go back to something that feels normal and feels more um, dependable. Like I know this, we did, we used, we always did this, this feels good and, and safe, but knowing we can't quite do that. So that's, that's one thing. Um, the, the more immediate thing, and I, I bring this up because as we talk in, in March of, of 2023, it's, it's on everyone's mind, but I think it's indicative of things that in two years, five years are just going to be different instances of the same thing. Here at Fairfield, we have been, as everywhere, we've been dealing with the seeming sudden emergence of artificial intelligence and chat GPT and uh, what this means for education. It's fascinating. It's scary. It's got tremendous opportunities. It's got all kinds of things that we are all trying to deal with and all trying to help each other deal with. But this is not going to be the last one. So once we kind of figure out what to do with this or how to work this into our thinking and our teaching, some other thing will come along too. So I hope that we can get past some of the panic and some of the, oh my gosh, all my tests are now useless. I have to redo everything um, kind of thinking and then take the step back and say, all right, how did we deal with it? What did we learn about it? And how can we kind of prepare ourselves somewhat for whatever the next chat GPT is going to be that comes out of nowhere and, and uh, surprises us? I, so I would imagine in your role, so you really are called to be, you're reactive in so many ways to things like exactly like, you, like you're speaking about, right? I mean, reactive and then proactive as much as you can be trying to anticipate what what's coming ahead. But that must be really be a, a significant challenge, especially for a community your size, adults and and students. Yeah, that that is a really good point and accurate observation. You know, the, the probably the best example of that is I can very distinctly remember in a about the second week or third week of February in 2020, I was walking out of a, a standard scheduled meeting with the provost and, and our team, our vice provosts. And she said, oh, Jay, you know, I have a question for you. She said, I'm reading about like in China and in Italy, there's this, this COVID virus and it's like really affecting people. Like if something like that were to happen here, we have 1500 courses. Like if we had something that we had to happen, that we had to close the school, what would we do? <laughs> and I said, it's Monday morning at 10 o'clock. I have no idea. <laughs> I can't think about that. And she said, you, maybe you should think about like what, what we might do. And it was really at that point that I began really putting together a plan, hoping I would never use it. But with every passing day, it became obvious to me that it was more likely we would use it. And so we were really ready to go um, as much as you could be uh, at at the point that we were like, OK, we're going to close the school. We have no choice here. And, you know, I am it's perhaps the, the proudest moment of my career, I would say, um, in how we dealt with covid here at Fairfield, um, because we 
we gathered our faculty together. We built upon a lot of what we had already done with them that was very forward looking in terms of thinking about teaching with technology and and engaging students in every way. And we said, you've already done a lot of this. Now we're just going to all take it to the next level. So come on, let, let's get together. This is this is awful. This is terrible, but we're going to do it together. Um, and we rolled out a whole plan of support for those faculty and um, a whole lot of late night hours and weekend hours that um, got us through in an amazing fashion. Uh, so that not sure how I got onto all that or why I used that example, but um, mm-hmm. it, it certainly is it certainly is um, indicative of the reactive nature of my job. And and Chat GPT was a very similar thing when when that was you know first kind of came into the news on November thirtieth, two thousand twenty two. I happen to even know the date. Um, <laughs> I, I started getting messages from faculty members, which is immediately. What is the provost's office going to do about chat GPT as though we could actually do something about artificial intelligence in the world? Um, and uh, how, how am I supposed to teach my courses now? And, and so we had a much smaller scale, but uh, on a much smaller scale, but we had to you know, jump into action in that, in that same type of manner. You know, it's wild just to think listening to that, like the time frame. I mean, just to imagine that March 2020 at the start of COVID, um, I mean, it's only three years ago. There's just such tremendous growth. Three years, like that's it. And the amount of professional growth that that educators have had to kind of roll through and work with. I mean, it really it'll it will take years to kind of process what has happened and then to look at where we are now and to think it's just everything has changed. Everything is so fast and the the artificial intelligence is a is kind of a perfect follow-up example to that. You know, I I think back to back when I I think I had shared with you that I had spent uh, most of my career in our New York City Jesuit schools. And my earlier days at Regis, I can remember being in the faculty room, and this will really date it, looking at like a faculty bulletin board, an actual bulletin board, (laughs) but, but seeing something about an online course. And I just remember looking at it thinking, oh, how it felt so distant, so like outside of my world as at that point an assistant prince academic assistant principal you know felt so far away and I thought well how would that work I mean what does it even look like like how do you capture the relationships that are so integral to our learning between kids and faculty and just this whole concept of online it felt so far in the future and flash forward to now and it's just embedded you know it's a part it's a part of who we are so just to think of the growth in in a relatively short period of time it's it's um it's inspiring in many ways as to what we can do yeah and and it makes me exhausted just thinking about it i know right yeah you well, everyone could just take a pause at some point and appreciate how far we have come yeah uh, it would be a nice thing but that doesn't seem to happen right no <laughs> uh, so how so when we talk about online learning, like how would you describe your approach to it, given everything that you have learned? You know, what what should an online learning environment look like? We're speaking of shoulds. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great question. So I, I think we we actually in it, I think higher education, particularly Jesuit schools, have been somewhat 
hampered by the way online education evolved. So online teaching uh, in higher ed really evolved from the basis of the the desire to make money from it. Schools that, and again, we, you know, we have those conversations at Fairfield just as every other school does. We need to pay the bills, right? So we we don't do things just for charity, right? We do, we do need to pay the salaries and keep the buildings and, and all of that. But, you know, the, it was started um, largely by um, independent, first independent companies, but then these OPMs, um, online program managers, where a school would hire a company and say, you know, help us provide all of these uh, online courses that would be, at least in theory, you know, we can attract a whole lot of students from all over the place and we will be able to make more money per course than we would by um, putting individuals in a classroom. And what that did was that drove a model of standardization because that's how you do that. You create a syllabus and then you say, we're not going to offer one section that, you know, Dr. Rizgani or Professor Rizgani is going to offer, we're going to we're going to give that syllabus to 10 different people and offer that exact same course by 10 different instructors and get 10 times as many students. But what we've done by doing that and, and it became successful financially, it became very successful for a lot of those schools. So you have University of Phoenix and Southern New Hampshire and a lot of other places that do and even some Jesuit schools who who've embarked on that kind of thing. But but I think. From my standpoint, what it does is it takes away at least what we at Fairfield and I think what most Jesuit schools do, which is to try and create connections between faculty members and students, among students, student to student, and for the students with with the material, with the curriculum, with, with what they're learning. You don't get that if I'm creating a syllabus and handing it to 10 faculty and saying, teach exactly what's on this syllabus. Don't choose any different readings. Don't change these assignments. Just give the lectures, read this stuff that the students submit, give it grades and give them uh, their credits at the end of it. To me, that's I didn't get into education to do that. And I don't and I think online education has kind of gotten a reputation that that's all it is. That's one aspect of it. But uh, what we're trying to do here at Fairfield very deliberately is say online education has the exact same characteristics, at least at Fairfield, our online courses have the same characteristics that our face-to-face courses have. That course that you're going to take online is developed by a faculty member. Um, It may have the same learning objectives as another section offered by a different faculty member. But if you're teaching a course on writing uh, and you take it with me, you may be reading books about baseball because I'm a baseball fan. And if you take it with another professor, you may be reading um, 19th century British literature because that's that person's passion. But in the end, you're going to learn the same principles about writing or uh, composition, whatever it might be. But that's going to make the students far more engaged if I'm talking about what I love and I'm sharing that. And that's going to model for them how they can bring their own personal interests and passions and concerns into the learning. And so that's what we're trying to do with online, Uh, not be the biggest, not generate the most number of uh, students uh, being cranked through our, our programs but retain that Jesuit notion of we want to we want to connect with every individual student and we want every individual faculty member to be connecting from his or her own authentic self. 
And so then that, so you're able to capture a lot of, I think, what we would consider to be the gifts of like face-to-face learning, being in a classroom together. So then what does, what does the hybrid world look like? You know, I think that's probably what most right now is what's most familiar with most of our schools, you know, kind of held on to a little bit of the virtual online world that's left over from the pandemic, but still kind of in, you know, the schooling uh, that we are familiar with. So what, like, what does hybrid look like? What should it look like? <laughs> that, you know, that is a really, really great topic. And and I have thought a whole lot about this because when we went into the the COVID teaching and particularly in the summer of 2020, so obviously in, in March of 2020, we and everyone else just completely did the best we could possibly do. I'm really proud of what we did. Our students did amazingly well. Our faculty held up and did amazingly well in that time. But what we in our Center for Academic Excellence did over the summer was really think about what we had experienced at the end of that semester and what we could do to really help our faculty as we went into the fall when we didn't know in July or even early August if we were all going to be on the campus, if some of us were going to be on the campus, if we would start and then leave, uh, we had no clue. So we tried to design a way of kind of accommodating anything that might come up. And we very specifically did not do what a lot of schools did. So a lot of schools spent a whole lot of money putting cameras and microphones in a lot of their classrooms with the idea that if student, if some students are in the room and some students are at home, everybody is together. And we didn't do it. And the reason we didn't do it is because I feel very, very strongly that the online learning environment and the face-to-face learning dev- uh, environment are totally different. And the worst thing that you can do is try and replicate the face-to-face environment by using online tools. And the analogy I use with my faculty is, if I go on vacation to Florida and I buy clothes to use on that vacation, next year when I go on vacation into Canada in the winter, I'm probably not gonna use those same clothes and say, hey, it's a vacation, so these are my vacation clothes, right? If you teach face-to-face, you need to adapt to the characteristics of being in a classroom and being in a room with people, and you need to account for the strengths and the weaknesses of that environment. And you need to do the same thing in online. There are different strengths and weaknesses. It's a different environment, just like Florida and uh, Montreal in the winter. Both are wonderful, but they're different. So how are you going to adapt to that? So what we did in our classes was we told faculty members, rather than trying to accommodate people who are at home and in the classroom at the same time, you're actually better off splitting your time providing half of that time to the people in the classroom and developing the material and delivering it to those other students, probably asynchronously and having them get it in the best way possible. And then the activities that you do are asynchronous activities or Zoom activities that bring the two groups together. Put the students in groups, have the ones who did the work asynchronously in a group with some students who did things in the classroom and have them share their experiences in how they learned about it, as well as what they learned. And I think that that is by far the best way to do it. We heard endless stories from colleagues at other schools about students sitting at home trying to watch on Zoom when 20 students were in the classroom and 10 were at home. The ones at home felt like they were left out. They were never noticed when they wanted to say something. They couldn't hear what half the students said. 
nobody got a good experience that way. And half of those students or those students, the group portion of the students that were at home, they were really done a disservice. That was not that was not an equitable educational opportunity for them. Uh, so sorry, that's a little bit of a soapbox, but I really feel passionately uh, about this. And I feel like it also translates to online learning in general. Um, I will always tell faculty online learning is not get on Zoom at six o'clock and I will you know, talk to you and with you for two and a half hours. That's not the way to use the, the online environment. So I think hybrid gets kind of used in a lot of different ways. And, and in some cases, it gets used with this thought that it can very simply bring people in two different environments together when in fact you need to deal with them in very different ways. And do you find now, so after all this time has passed since those conversations, like is that the is that the norm of the expectations of of faculties and really of kids now that are is that what they're is that adaptability, the flexibility that you're that you're speaking about that's required of both the teacher and student? Is that just like common now? Is that what they're used to? To some extent, they're used to it, but more so, I would say, when they see it, because they may not have always seen it before, they appreciate it. That's that's the big difference. So it's very easy for schools to go with the other model because you just schedule the class the way you always scheduled it. Half of the students are in the room. The faculty member goes to the room. Some students log on to Zoom. The class is over at the same time. It all seems like it was equitable. It seems like everybody got the same thing. But we know, and the irony of this is that, especially in in Jesuit education, but in general, I think increasingly we're realizing people learn very differently. People come with very different um, experiences, you know, whether whether that's emotional, psychological, socioeconomic, they come with all these different things. And in many ways, we talk about how we want to meet students where they are, and we talk about how we want to adapt um, are teaching to what's best for them. And yet we still will go to these models that that are this like one size fits all model without thinking about how that's leaving so many of those students out and how it's antithetical with what we were just saying about meeting students where they are. So the students definitely appreciate it. it it's sometimes tough with faculty because they see it as that's going to be more work. I have to do twice the work, right? The, the initial thing is, well, I'm teaching two different groups. Not really. Um, you're teaching in, in two slightly different ways for the different groups, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're teaching, you know, doing twice the teaching. And what about how, how are you finding students in this context, like in this conversation? So, you know, thinking about the we talk a lot at the at the high school level about prepared and the middle school level about preparedness for the next level, you know, preparedness for college and college readiness. So how are kids doing? I mean, is it just normal to them now in college? Are they are you feeling that they're prepared now three years down the line? No, they're not. Um, And, you know, it's no one's fault. Right. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 not a matter of, of, you know, oh, it's it's this system or this person or this type of um, teaching environment. We all lived through something that was completely foreign to us. We'd never experienced it. And, And even as adults, we are still struggling to figure it out and come to terms with it. Um, I cannot even be, imagine being a, a 14, 15, 16 year old going through all the things that you normally go through that are so difficult that be about being 14, 15, 16. And then on top of it, have this happen to you. So they lost a lot of learning. They lost a lot of social um, growth, social interaction that you know leads to personal growth. 
they just lost a lot of the ability to feel confident about themselves and uh, where they kind of fit in the world and how they're starting to form their view of the world and their view of uh, themselves as as learners and emerging citizens of the world. And I think they don't quite know what to do with that. And, you know, we're try- as educators, we're trying to figure it out, but we still we still haven't figured it out. Right. We still haven't figured it out. To, to me, that what I tell our faculty is uh, you, you need to go in there and you need to acknowledge with your students on day one of every course that you teach, you know, um, go in there and like basically I, I just I can't even imagine what you went through, because when I went went to high school, I had nothing like this. So I don't know. And I appreciate the fact that you've been through something very difficult and I want to help you. And so if there is something that that is not working for you here, I need to know about it. And we need to work together to make sure that that's taken care of and that we do everything we can to give you a good learning environment. And I think the the faculty who and some of whom this certainly happens in higher education um, feel rather are, are rather a little stricter about the thought that I, I'm the professor and here's the expectation and here's what you need to do. And if you don't do it, you're not meeting the requirement and therefore you, you get the poor grade. I think that that we need to encourage our faculty to loosen up a little bit and understand that it's not necessarily that somebody is not doing the work. There are circumstances and issues that are getting in the way of allowing them to do the work. You know, that fits, it aligns so much with conversations that we're having uh, at the JSN with our schools right now about just this whole idea of right now in this moment, the changing nature of student needs, like exactly what you just said, um, with the, I don't know if tension's the right word, but with with the idea of the value of academic rigor, academic excellence, um, you know, to to use the language of your center, um, but how that fits in our schools that have these really incredible academic traditions, this whole spirit of rigor and of of excellence and of um, a real focus on that learning, but adjusting right now to where kids are and the reality of it. And it is sometimes, I think, attention. And so it's it just it's interesting to hear, you know, it'll, I would like to have the answer to that question in another three years, you know, yeah. <laughs> where, where we are, because I don't I don't think there is an answer to the question now. But it is affirming in some ways to think that that higher ed is is wrestling with the same kind of issues. Same. Yeah. Same and, and, you know, I think I think one of the one of the things that um, I really try and encourage and support our faculty here at Fairfield in doing is is in being flexible. And so I'll come back to you know what we talked about with the chat GPT. And so one of the first things we did around chat GPT was convene conversations and just invite faculty to come to 75 minute sessions where we just talked. And I gave a very brief overview on, on what is this even? So like how does this differ from doing a, a search on Google and what what is what is happening? Where does it stand in its in its evolution and development? And then what concerns do you have and allowing people to talk about that? And one of the amazing things to me, because chat GPT as as a lot of the focus has been uh, around the fact that it's writing, uh, you know, it's writing based, text based to a large extent. And so you can ask to write a seven paragraph essay on, you know, comparing Herbert Hoover's approach to dealing with the the stock market crash to Franklin Roosevelt's approach to dealing with the depression. And it will write something that will sound really darn good. Right. 
What I found really fascinating was that in all of our sessions, it was our writing teachers who said, this is an exciting opportunity. Hmm. People who I thought would have come in there and said, oh, my God, my job is at stake here. Uh, And they said, like, what an incredible opportunity this is, because I can tell students, give chat GPT a prompt, have it write that essay. And now you take that essay and write a critique of that essay. And they were like, this is a great opportunity. I'm like, that's the kind of flexibility I want. We had a few other people who, you know, human civilization will now end because we have chat GPT. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm not sure it's quite that bad, but, um, but when our writing faculty in every session we had, we had somebody, at least one of the writing faculty and every one of them. And I was like, wow, oh, good for you. Good yeah. for you. Well, that's the spirit of Jesuit education, right? Education Absolutely. as transformation and as, as of staying, you know, staying current and staying, staying modern and, and really that whole spirit of, of adaptability, as you said. Absolutely. I like hearing that. So that actually leads to um, next question I have for you. And you mentioned this a little bit with the kind of the, the very first day talk that a, a teacher may give their students. But how do you encourage teachers to craft their learning for the online world? Like what do, or the hybrid world, you know, like the world outside their classroom? How how do we craft our learning? Where do, where do you start? So um, I. I... Personally, spent a lot of time working on this prior to COVID, and then obviously uh, adapting the ideas with what we experienced during COVID. Um, here at Fairfield, when we are launching a new program, or we have faculty members who are who are teaching online for the first time, we give them the opportunity to come go through something that we call the Online Course Design Institute, and we essentially we we make them for about four or five weeks be students in an online course. And the work of that online course, which includes assignments and readings and everything you would do in a course, is to design your online course. So all of the work is step-by-step walks you through it. And oh, by the way, everything we do, we're modeling the uh, good online course. So at the end of it, faculty will say, oh my gosh, you never told me about such and such tool, but I saw how you use that. And that was great. I could use that in my history class. I can use that in my engineering class, which is exactly what I want. I I don't want them to say, you told me how I could use this. I want them to say, I saw you use this and that made me think. So what we try to do is encourage faculty to think about the fact that in this day and age, again, we're, we're talking about a you know, college setting rather than high school setting, but students are used to immediate communication. They're used to incredible amounts of flexibility. I remember the days when if I wanted to see a TV show, I had to be in front of the TV at 8 p.m. on Wednesday because by 8.30 it was over and it was never coming back, uh, and except maybe in six months on rerun, maybe. To, to students, that's a bizarre concept. Like, why would I be... Why would I be adapting to some other schedule? It's my own schedule. And faculty need to understand that. And that's one of the reasons people take online courses. So we need to, we need to embrace that. And we need to use the tools that students, students of what, no matter what age it is, but certainly and adults um, that we use in our day-to-day life. So we are highly encouraging of incorporating smartphones and chat tools and videos and multimedia productions, which are really simple to do nowadays, uh, just on your phone, even you don't even need your computer, your iPad to do it, you can do it right on your phone. And just like our writing folks, don't be stuck in what you experienced as learning. Think about what's possible 
today and think about what these students have experienced, which is far, far different that any of us have experienced, even those of us who might be a little bit younger than I am, and uh, you know, had more technology when they were in school, what the students have today is way more than you had, even if you were, it's only 10 years since you were in school. That's the opportunity mindset, isn't it? And that's the part that I think, like at the end of the day, if we hold on to, you know, we we talk a lot about that. I mean, even the, the recording this podcast, you know, here we are recording it. You're in Connecticut. I'm in Colorado. Kristen's in upstate New York. You know, here we are. And our listeners will be all over the all over the world listening to it. And it's an opportunity to kind of share that learning. And and we we've started to talk so much about just the ability to reach people where they are, you mm-hmm. know, in the in the virtual sense and, the, you know, that. Folks who have uh, family commitments, you know, you have young children, you have aging parents, whatever it might be that you're just it's difficult to get to get it's difficult to leave. It's difficult to go to the old kind of fashioned professional conferences across the country and, you know, in, in hotel ballrooms and so on. But you can log in and learn from experts all over. I mean, that is exciting to me. And there's so much work that goes into it. But it is a whole different way of of thinking that I I think, again, when we when we focus on that, that's the transformation. That's really the opportunity. You know, we all spent so many years in school as students, you know, from five years old to at the very least early 20s and many of us longer than that. And we we think about teaching based upon the way we were taught. But that's not the only way. And it's certainly now not the only possible way. We have now so many more possibilities. And so just like those those writing teachers I talked about, don't be afraid to let go of some of the things that were so familiar to you and therefore so comfortable and so kind of easy to fall in the pattern of doing. But think about the students today who you will have the opportunity to give a very different kind of experience to and how you you owe it to them to do it because they're going to be living in a world that just just like us in, in 10 or 20 years, they're going to look back and say, back when I was young, we had or didn't have or whatever, right? They're going to be that same way. But the, the more we can open their minds to the possibilities and taking advantage of what's around us and what's new and what can enhance learning, the better that's going to be to prepare them for the ever-changing world that they're stepping into. And with that, well, like, what do you think comes next? I can't, I can't help but ask that. You know, when it when you think about educational technology and and wisdom of implementing it, like what what's coming next? What should be we be ready for? So one of the things I'm going to say this because I've actually in the past two days I'm working on furiously on something um, that I have to get done by the end of the day tomorrow. So it's forefront in my mind, but it, I think it it really pertains to this quite a bit. Fairfield University is is uh, opening up a new campus in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is a, a very economically depressed city. It's the largest city in Connecticut. It was uh, in the you know first half, two thirds of the 20th century was just a booming industrial city. And obviously, we know what's happened with northeastern industrial cities. Uh, there's a lot of poverty uh, and a, a lot of problems. And Fairfield is going to be opening a two year school there to provide students from Bridgeport with the opportunity to get associate's degrees. And these are going to be at no cost to the students. And one of the things I have been thinking about as I am designing the curriculum and technology plan uh, that I have to submit by tomorrow 
is how we need to think about the fact that technology is becoming simpler in terms of what it takes to use it and more powerful in what it can do. And I, I say that, and the, the way the analogy I'll use to, to explain that is that everyone listening probably has a laptop or desktop computer, and at times they get frustrated and at times sometimes it freezes and sometimes they get a virus on it and all kinds of things happen with that. And if it's at work, you're probably calling the help desk and waiting for a technician to come. Um, but you've probably also got a smartphone. And I would ask you, in the time you've owned that smartphone, how many times have you called a help desk? Probably almost never. And if anything went wrong with that phone in terms of your, it froze up or something, I can pretty much guarantee that if you restarted it, it was perfectly fine. And so we need to embrace that kind of forward-looking technology that allows our students not to get caught up with the technology, but to get focused on what the technology can do. So just as we're recording this podcast, which, by the way, I could have done on my smartphone if I wanted to, um, and then I could have edited it entirely on my smartphone if I'd wanted to, uh, all of that could be done that way. You know, we need to we need to give students these tools. We need to encourage them to explore with them and use them and think about the world around them and what these tools can do to help them understand that world and more so to connect with other people that now these tools give them the opportunity to connect with anywhere in the entire world. Simpler and more powerful. I like that. I like thinking of that moving forward. I think those will be the things that I'm going to hold on to, Jay, from this conversation. Well, pedagogical <laughs> innovation and effectiveness, because I, think <laughs> Thank that, you. I love that. Thank you. Simpler and more powerful looking forward, yeah. you know, as we head here towards the end of this it really another another crazy school year, right? They all are crazy, <laughs> crazy in good ways, in good ways. But absolutely, um, but are but that's a that's an idea we can kind of keep at the front of our mind. So I have to thank you so much for uh, for taking the time here out of everything, especially in your spring break in a quiet quiet hallway. Uh, we <laughs> so much so much your time, the chance to to kind of listen to your expertise and your experience after everything that has gone on, all of the, the growth of these past three years and, and beyond. It's really been terrific. So we appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, it, it's just been a real pleasure talking to you. And, you know, I, I get caught up so much on a day-to-day basis and what are we doing next and what do we have to do? And that actually sitting back here and reflecting a little bit and being able to explain some of these things and rethink about them myself is 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 nice it's a little bit scary when i think about february of 2020 and my boss said what are we going to do if suddenly we can't offer 1500 classes but we did it but so much to be proud of and all that has come absolutely you know absolutely same for all of our listeners here so thank you thank you very much it's been a pleasure listening to this episode of the Ignatian Inquiry podcast. Professor Razgani's biography and contact information can be found on JSN's website at www.jesuitschoolsnetwork.org slash Ignatian-inquiry-podcast. The Ignatian Inquiry podcast is hosted by Kristen Smith and Dr. Kristen Ross Cully. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by Kristen Smith and directed by Dr. Kristen Ross Cully. To learn more about the Jesuit Schools Network, please visit www.jesuitschoolsnetwork.org.
Stay curious and set the world on fire.